another Thin Air podcast for November 2014. Um, It is fall again. It's actually right at the cusp of winter. We've got some snow on the ground. Um, I am again in the greenhouse and it is uh, just sort of a, a mess of dead leaves. There's a couple tomato plants that I didn't get out in time before the freeze and the snow. So it's Again, that meditation on the destructive, um, and as has traditionally been the case, um, you know, this fall season really is a meditation on the waning of life and its energy um, before the rebirth again in the spring. But uh, it's it's very easy to find yourself drifting into thoughts of um, sort of that negative. Uh, principle. Um, this is at least something that I've experienced, and I believe it's experienced by uh, many, many people. Um, just sort of my thoughts in this time of year uh, are just a bit duller. Um, I think part of it is just the inactivity, the physical sort of stasis, and being inside and in the dark, and um, the world just sort of taking on that. Uh, that dullness and that feeling of decay and uh, waning of energy. Uh, So as such, um, lately on my mind have been quite a host of um, difficult uh, questions or topics or feelings, I guess. Um, And I think what I'm going to do is just sort of muse through some of those uh, to see if there's any interesting um, insights to to dig up. So I sort of feel like my current mindset is a confluence of um, several experiences all overlapping um, that I've had in the last uh, month or so. Um, The first, I guess I'll just kind of play them out in order. Um, The first, I guess, is... Again, just the season, and just um, like I was describing, the the nights, uh, you know, the sun setting at 4.30, and just everything kind of taking on this dull darkness, so that that's a big part of it. And then on top of that, um, have taken a return into what I feel is just an incredible subject that is just so uh, mind-bending in its uh, reality which is the Mongol conquest of pretty close to the entire Asian continent and starting to move into the European continent in the uh, 1200s. Genghis Khan and um, his generals and his family that uh, conquered the world um, quite effortlessly um, in just the most horrific... Uh, terrifying fashion. Um, A few years ago now, about two years ago, I had read a series of uh, historical fiction novels by Dan Agulden that were um, all centered around Genghis Khan and his family. It's a great, great, great book series. I encourage anyone to check them out. Uh, Again, just mind-blowing that uh, this actually happened And that this, uh, you know, the experience that was had by the Mongolians themselves as well as the people they conquered 
and the tens and tens and tens of millions of people who died uh, savagely and brutally in that time period, um, that that is a human experience and a common one uh, that has been played out throughout history. Um, Probably it's a lot, I mean, if you look at percentage-wise of peaceful, worry-free living and then these sort of horrific events, um, it's probably a pretty close balance. Uh, and the reason why that to me is is fairly revelatory is uh, having grown up just maybe hearing the name Genghis Khan but not really attaching it to any kind of real knowledge of history um, and then hearing just these other names like uh, Alex the Great and um, Caesar, uh, the great conquerors of history, not really having a real... Uh, experience of what that actually meant that uh, for example the Mongolians would go to a city a huge city millions of people in some cases big walled cities and give that city one opportunity to surrender completely and fully which even if they did that meant horrors for the the men and women and everyone in the village but uh, or city but if uh, there were was any resistance whatsoever. The Mongolians would uh, smash the city and kill every man, woman, and child uh, without fault, uh, just methodically and uh, viciously. And that was the fate of uncountable uh, cities and provinces and um, just just putting myself in that mindset of wow, this is real, this is humanity, this is a human experience, and it is so terrifying, I can't even really project myself into those situations and have any idea of of what that would be like or how to cope with that. Um, To just be living your life with your family and your businesses and problems and personal things going on, And then one day there's smoke on the horizon and then a mass of Mongolian troops. And depending on the way the the bones fall, um, having everyone you know murdered before your eyes, the women savagely and brutally raped, uh, all the women above seven years old, and everything that you valued the day before, the hour before, is just laid as the fallen leaves uh, in the in the path of history. So this has been again this this other thing that's been on my mind. I, I mentioned that uh, having read that Kana Gouldin book uh, or series of books a couple of years ago was just an amazing adventure to go on. It was just remarkable and incredible. Um, and it's been a couple of years, but then I found a podcast, um, Dan Carlin's hardcore history and he has a five-part series that deals with the same time period and the same uh, characters of these Mongolians and their uh, legacy and I have been sort of reliving that whole uh, experience again through that uh, audio podcast and so that's very much on my mind as I as I wake up each day and go about my little problems and uh, the things that I'm doing, just this real recognition that um, it's not even really an exception to to a human experience. This kind of terror and this kind of um, 
real, I don't quite know how to put it. I think that in our culture, we have this real emphasis and value on human life and the, the importance and value of the individual. And we really have this sort of feeling of equity and fairness. And um, even in our, whether it's secular or whether it's religious, this sort of idea that good prevails and uh, my life is worth something. And at these periods in history, uh, it, you just see that that is, it is um, so easily trampled on, that kind of an idea. And again, you know, I'm sitting, or I'm standing here in this greenhouse, and I'm just looking around at all of these dead, fallen leaves. And, you know, a human life in that kind of a period, in that kind of a, a world, is just a dead, fallen leaf. And yes, it all plays into this beautiful symphony of cosmic happening um, in the same way that a fallen leaf becomes the fertilizer for the next uh, round of plants and uh, that next spring all of the fertile soil is is those decaying bodies um, the the individuality though um, just gets washed over in this tidal wave of um, nature and what it does it makes me think of a line from the Tao Te Ching where it says that um, the universe or the Tao is not kind, that human beings are like straw dogs to them, uh, meaning they're, they're nothing, you know, they're, they're absolutely inconsequential um, and can just be dealt with as such. And in the same way in that uh, saying, um, the universe, the Tao is not kind. And also sages. Um, I think a sage typically means a holy man uh, or someone who is enlightened and a teacher of some sort. But it could also be taken as one of these, um, as Dan Carlin puts it, uh, historical arsonists. That to these types of individuals who really... Um, have major influence on the human story unfolding that uh, human beings are as straw dogs they are just inconsequential in their individual nature and are um, very easily just just crushed without a without a second thought and I guess um just uh, to make this relevant, um, it's just an interesting perspective to get into and to project yourself into these times and places of absolute horror without any hope of salvation um, in the usual sense of uh, the good guy will prevail. Um, it, it's, just, it's just apparent that the real story of the human happening is much more organic and much more indifferent to the uh, sensibilities of the human um, value system. Uh, it's interesting, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but the word pathetic, when we say something like, oh, that's pathetic, um, the pathos uh, in that pathetic, uh, it, it's actually referring to the pathetic fallacy which is the fallacy of giving human characteristics to the events and um, happenings of nature. So to say that a tree is, is sighing or that um, 
animals or plants or anything have these human characteristics, these human values and sensibilities is pathetic. And so I guess that's sort of where I, I've found myself in this pathetic state of just um, internalizing how really transient um, everything is, and, and beautifully so, but um, typically without this kind of line of thought entering my head, there's just this idea of a personal narrative. Um, that's an idea that I really picked up on from Tomas, who's been featured in a number of these podcasts. Um, Tomas himself is a, is a born storyteller, movie maker, uh, you know, story uh, creator, and as such, he really um, sees his life, I believe, and, and sort of the world happening as this narrative or series of narratives. And I think typically that's where I have felt that, you know, my individual self is somehow special, is somehow important, that somehow um, all of these potentials that I have are at some point going to be realized or... Uh, it's the idea that God loves me and that God has a plan for me or that uh, I am creating the universe and as such, uh, I mean, I'm just going to share this sort of openly and personally that I've always had this sort of weird feeling that just because of my peculiar um, view of the world and um, uh, kind of being able to get a little bit deeper into things that uh, it's sort of been my own little personal thing uh, sucking of my thumb or safety blanket that uh, the universe likes me, likes having me to see it, to feel it, to think about it because it's being thought of in these new deeper ways or, uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's very much that individual, uh, I have work to do here. I am special. I am, you know, this is my story and it's going to be a great one. And then when that collides with a constellation of thought, like the Mongolians and like, um, you know, that's just one example, but uh, even the Ebola virus that's now wiping out <laughs> villages in Africa or uh, civil war, any kind of period of history where a, a wave of energy just wipes out an entire um, group of people or generation of people uh, when those two ideas collide, the I am special and the I am a fallen leaf twisting on the vine, um, it just really comes to these unsettling, insecure kind of feelings. And I can only imagine what that must have been like to be in a walled city with Mongolians camped around it and having heard the stories from the other cities and what had happened, just knowing as you sit behind those walls for sometimes only hours, sometimes months, but just knowing what's going to befall you, um, in a sense, we're all sort of there. We're all sort of sitting behind that walled city uh, waiting for whatever it is to overtake us. And so to just throw more on top of this, um, another little piece of this is that in the last couple days, uh, I just got word that a... Uh, friend of a friend, I guess, a, a individual who I've had a number of interactions with and really just re generally regard as a, as a good person, a, a great guy who's done a lot of great things and um, in the same kind of way, just, you know, this is a good young 
person that is living their life and doing these things. And I got word that this person went into the hospital uh, kind of randomly and found out that he had stage four cancer and is, I guess, as we speak, you know, in the hospital dying. And this is a, you know, 40 something, late 30s, early 40s uh, guy here in town. And it's just, again, the real the realization that uh, this narrative that we sort of have in our heads of I'm going to live to be 80 and I'm going to get to retire and I'm going to do all of these things and yeah, I'm doing something right now. It might not be my favorite thing to be doing, but it's all getting me to this later thing. Again, uh, we've had a number of talks in these podcasts of this sort of delusion of um, the straight line of time and how uh, in our Western world we've traditionally looked at it as a as a progression uh, progress is always being made we're always getting to something better whether it's graduating from the grades of our schooling system into the the working world and climbing the corporate ladder all these things or just the general uh, progression of a life um, again these two concepts whether it's mongolians or it's fucking colon cancer uh those those things are out there for us and this sort of sedentary existence of of putting off for tomorrow the things we really wish we were doing today um, because we have in our minds this this longer narrative for ourselves um, you never know when there's going to be men on the horizon Um, I guess to throw on top of that this next layer uh, I just randomly picked up and was rereading uh, one of my favorite Chuck Palahniuk books, uh, Rant, which is another fabulous book. Uh, really just a quick and great read. But uh, as it is Chuck Palahniuk, he's the author of Fight Club and Choke and Survivor and all of these um, uh, books that are very uh, raw and just taking jabs at all of the things that our culture kind of holds sacred and Um, If you've seen Fight Club, you kind of know what I mean by um, just sort of this counter system statement. And anyway, this book Rant, there's just a lot of additional concepts that feed into this whole line of thought that I'm I'm sort of developing for you now. Um, And when I talk about the Mongolians and colon cancer, uh, there was a passage that I just read a couple nights ago in Rant where uh, one of the characters is talking about their own fear of mortality and how... Uh, somewhere out there there is a bullet or a car crash or a germ or he doesn't say it but you know a conquering people um, with your uh, name on name on it and those things that bullet that car crash doesn't care that you just found true love or that you just uh, realized your dream and are gonna have a Broadway musical or like whatever uh, sort of human centric uh, concerns you might have in this building of your narrative, uh, really the, the mechanisms and moving of nature and, and the whole human experience aren't pathetic. They are very much, it seems, indifferent to the sensibilities and values and um, narratives that we construct for ourselves. So um, having just sort of built this little web of um, anxiousness, I guess um, the the thing to do next would just sort of start um, picking at it and seeing, you know, where things can be untangled or uh, any insights 
can be can be found and this is very much an on the on the fly kind of off the cuff experience or um I I haven't I haven't thought about this prior to this moment which is why these podcasts are kind of a nice opportunity for me to sort of take myself to therapy you know these are these are conversations that uh, last night I was laying in bed and just couldn't sleep and a lot of this stuff was kind of coming up in my mind and I'm just sitting there kind of doing the moaning at, you know, <sighs> like the cry for help. My wife is asleep next to me and, and part of me just desperately wants to wake her up and, and be able to communicate these things and have like that other person um, engaged and uh, helping uh, work through something but at the same time it's like it's three in the morning she has to get up early there's no reason to be doing this anyway so um, anyway all I'm getting at is uh, that's what I'm doing now in this sort of uh, uh, self-diagnosis um, the thing that is also interesting to me here is that in light of all of these um, thoughts and again it's very much centered on this on this uh, mortality uh, being unknowable and your time here you might think uh, or in my case I might think that here I have this beautiful three-year-old son and I see this whole history of of him and I growing up together and all the things I want to teach him and all the things I hope to experience uh, with and through him and um, that being there it's like that is just what is is going to happen um, but then you hear these other stories of colon cancer and disease and these other things. It's like, that is not assured. And so one of the things that's interesting to me is as I stand here, I'm, I'm holding this little, uh, hand rolled cigarette, um, that I rolled from some tobacco that my, my friend left me before he went back to the Middle East and, um, I had every intention of just taking a couple puffs of it. And, um, that's not a very healthy decision. And I feel like my eating lately has been just really unhealthy, but very like sort of um, uh, orgiastic, uh, you know, eating of just fatty, delicious, like, uh, you know, take it up, take it in. I mean, life isn't assured. Uh, There's another little passage in that rant book where um, the guy is sort of talking about dying in a car wreck. And he's saying, if I'm driving down the street and a drunk driver uh, crosses that center line and hits me head on, um, we're both going to die. And it doesn't matter that this man made every wrong decision in his life. He's an alcoholic. He's a deadbeat. He's all these things. And here I am eating healthy, doing all of these great things. I'm going to college. I'm doing all this stuff. Like those two cars collide and it doesn't matter (laughs) in a sense what you had for breakfast, all those healthy choices, as he said it, my low, uh, my low cholesterol blood is leaping to escape in hot, uh, spurting <laughs> gushes. Really, really just disturbing kind of imagery. But I guess my point is, is that I find myself sort of making these unhealthy choices almost in this like um, live now kind of mentality. That uh, to be overly cautious, to be overly... Um, sort of withholding is uh I don't I don't I don't quite know where I'm going with this. It's just interesting to me that in light of colon cancer as being like this thing that is sort of in my in my mind, I went out and I had three strips of bacon with hash browns covered with um over easy eggs and like it's just like fuck it, you know, the the world is coming to get me. Well, 
I'm, I'm just eating it up. I'm just doing my thing. And I, and I kind of wonder if part of that is sort of this seasonal uh, happening where in this sort of fall from, from energy, in this, uh, the, the days are shorter, the, the plants are dead, um, all the food that is being eaten was harvested in this past season of, of growth, and now it's just there, and we have these feasts, you know, Thanksgiving, just overeating, um, and all of the uh, winter festivals were sort of centered around this um, coming together and uh, ritualistic inebriation and consumption, and um, it is almost a defiance of those stalking uh, ghouls. Um, I I like to talk about Halloween and how it's just so obviously a meditation on the death and the ghouls and ghosts of of that experience of that time of year when everything is falling into death, and so. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just thinking through my own thought process and trying to figure out why I'm standing here holding a cigarette, which I would never um, really do to myself. Yet it just seems like a, a nice uh, symbol of um, of not being diluted. Um, into thinking that I am gonna last forever. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a youthful thing too. You know, the youth are naturally, uh, explorative to the boundaries of almost self-destruction that in that, uh, trying to figure out who and what, uh, we are, uh, we can only do that by finding the limits and pushing those limits into sort of absurd, uh, places and, uh, whether that's in these uh, almost athletic expressions of human energy and potential or in the uh, pursuit of experience, including chemical uh, uh, doorways into other uh, ways of experiencing things, that there's this sort of self-destructiveness that comes from the uh, facing down of the the fear or the, um, that knowledge that we are mortal, (laughs) that we are temporary. I don't know that the young are necessarily challenging their mortality, but maybe they are. But, um, I don't know. Uh, Let's see if I can kind of wrangle things back on track here. So that, so that is an interesting part of it that, faced with these uh, momentous feelings of, of fear mixed with the recognition of the impermanence of things, there is sort of this tendency towards the helping of that process along, uh, the self-destructive, uh, maybe it's a control thing, maybe it's uh, well, you ain't going to get me, I'm going to get myself, and ha, I, I'm the one who's really in control. Uh, it's the ritualistic seppuku, or the hair curry of belly cutting, um, when faced with your shame or inevitable demise. Uh, many kings in those, or rulers, when faced with those Mongolian hordes, um, killed themselves and their family rather than 
uh, go through that experience. Um, and in so doing, they, that is their final act of actual control um, over the situation. And I certainly am not uh, sitting here trying to advocate that uh, in any way. I'm not um, promoting self-destruction as a means of liberation from the anxiousness of your inevitable demise. I'm, I'm just sort of thinking through that part of it, which has just sort of surprised me. Again, I'm just sort of sitting here and, and twisting this little uh, hand-rolled, uh, doobie-looking... Uh, tobacco cigarette um i think that also this plays into a thought that i had a while ago and i think i might have actually recorded a podcast about it but then never published it i don't think it was fully there but it was really dealing with this idea of self-fulfillment uh, self-fulfilling prophecies i guess and it was really this meditation on how um, where your mind is directed can really influence where your feet take you. Um, and I think Tomas actually said a few things that touched on this in the last podcast about uh, chaos when he was talking about how uh, all of a sudden one day there was all this energy kind of coming at him about this specific thing of, of be on alert. There are people who want to break in here and there's this sort of danger that people were informing him of and he had never really thought about that before and then lo and behold that event happens and it all kind of came in this bundle and it was sort of this uh, meditation on how our, our thoughts... Uh, can influence our action and behavior. And so if you're thinking about uh, about the inevitable death and downfall of the human race or whatever it might be, the zombie apocalypse, uh, whatever it might be, that uh, there's a tendency to be sort of ushering things along in that direction uh, just because you're thinking about it, even if it's a, even if you're worrying about it, um, it's it's the it's the whole idea of self fulfilling prophecy, and it that that original podcast that idea had sort of come to me. Uh, this is I guess a year or two ago, driving back from Taos, New Mexico, and uh, before we left for that return drive back from Taos uh, to Northern Colorado, um, I have an app on my phone that is the um, the I Ching, which is the uh, Chinese Book of Changes. It's sort of this uh, oracle that you can consult. And the Chinese people have been consulting this Book of Wisdom. It's one of the oldest uh, books that we have on the planet, actually. Uh, the idea being that uh, in, our, in our world, we're used to flipping a coin when we need to make a decision and kind of getting that yes or no. And in this, uh, this system, the I Ching, you actually flip three coins six times to create these hexagrams. And then you get uh, from that one of 64 uh, different, they call it the oracle, but it's just sort of like a meditation on this thing. So you get this hexagram and it's attached to this passage, this kind of concept. And getting to that through this random process, you now have this new thing to meditate on. And just because this book is so rich with wisdom in this sort of Taoist way, 
that a lot of them, regardless of the situation, like bring in this new understanding, this new awareness that kind of is then part of your thought process and presumably helps you navigate through the the events that are unfolding. But in this case, driving back from Taos, uh, the hexagram that came up was disaster, something to that effect. And it was this just ominous, bad omen of, you know, things are going to get really tough and here's how to deal with it. And, and, uh, but driving home on a road trip with, uh, my wife and I believe my son was probably about a year old, maybe a year and a half at that time, getting this omen of disaster. I mean, that whole trip back, I was hyper sensitive to, how are my tire pressures? How are, you know, what's the coolant level? What's going to go wrong? You know, and everything is sort of looking for, is this it? Is this what it was warning me about? And that whole trip back was this very, um, I didn't even share this with Kayla um, because I didn't want to get her into that mindset. I, I just kind of throughout the, throughout the drive home uh, kept a, a straight face, but inside me was this sort of like little nagging thing of, uh, something could go really wrong. Like, is something going to go wrong? What is it? Is it that? Oh, no, it wasn't that. Is it that? But uh, you kind of see what I'm saying in this sort of self-deterministic kind of way, like having that as your background meditation, um, you're looking for it. Um, you, uh, as I've said a number of times, uh, one of my professors used to say, the eye sees what the mind is prepared to find. Um, another way to say it is that... Um, to a hammer, the whole world looks like nails, and to someone meditating on disaster, the whole world looks like a precarious deck of cards waiting to collapse, and you're just there waiting to witness it. And so the reason I bring this into the mix is I, I just I have that kind of in the background of, of thinking about how, yes, it's this time of year, and yes, I'm meditating and thinking about the Mongolian conquest of Asia and uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and hearing about friends with cancer and being in this, uh, dead kind of period of time, uh, that's where my mind is. That's where, uh, I'm looking for some clue, some sign, some whatever, uh, to, to help me, uh, navigate, but uh, again, just bringing in this sort of this other concept of, of the premeditation uh, guiding action is just knowing that uh, this too shall pass, that these thoughts come. Um, and that's not to say I'm not going to get colon cancer tomorrow. That's still a very real possibility that um, getting hit by a car, any, anything happening, that's still very much a part of this. The men on the horizon, that whole idea, uh, that doesn't go away. But I guess the realization is, is that that is always the case. And if I'm thinking about it more right now, if I'm feeling more bent out of shape about it, uh, that's okay. Um, it's okay to feel not okay, uh, especially with this knowledge that um, as the way things work, if I don't die, <laughs> um, there will be another spring. And in that spring, there will be this this rebirth and this... Uh, you know, the warm air comes again and the plants are growing, the birds are singing, new possibilities, new life, and the, and the mind is directed there. And uh, I guess it comes back into another sort of ball of concepts that I've felt a, a, a huge number of times, especially recently, 
Um, and, and it's always easier to diagnose in other people than it is in yourself. And diagnose isn't the right word, but um, is kind of what I just said of that it's okay to not be okay. Um, as really being this karate chop to what ails you. Because I've recognized in myself, certainly, and definitely in the people around me, that when there are those times of feeling down, which everybody has, uh, it is just a cyclical part of life that to feel up at all means you have to have downs. And so everyone is sort of, uh, to greater or lesser degrees, in this pendulum swing from high to low. And in those downstrokes and those lows, one of the things that is so easy to do is to make yourself feel infinitely worse by feeling there's something wrong with the way you're feeling. And I've seen this a lot in myself again, and also, uh, for example, my wife is a teacher, and I've noticed, sort of being this secondary observer, that a school year follows a repeatable progression, and there are these certain points, I could plot them on a calendar, where the energy gets low, the thoughts get negative, the, the, the whole characteristic of that environment goes to this sort of dark place. And then it comes out of it. And there's other periods of, you know, excitement and feeling good and those types of things. But in those dark periods of just feeling defeated and tired and depressed, um, there's that tendency to be very critical of yourself for feeling the way that you feel. And, it, and it's, less about, um, it's less about what you're actually experiencing and more like, why do I feel this way? Like, there's... Like, I just wish I could feel better. Why can't I feel better? Why can't I be happy? I've got all these great things. I've got all this beautiful stuff. Why can't I be happy about it? And it's just that beating yourself up. Um, and the, the, uh, the magic formula of, and, and I just heard this recently um, on NPR. It was a, um, it was a returning veteran from the uh, Iraq campaign uh, who was who was talking about this and, and just talking about the experience of a soldier with this uh, PTSD kind of uh, effect of coming back to uh, the American culture after having witnessed and lived through the horrors of war and losing friends and all these things and and for him this really liberating concept was that it's it's okay to not be okay and uh, that to me sums this concept up beautifully in that um, in, these, in these seasons or in these uh, depressing thoughts. Because there's, there's a whole bunch more that goes into this that I haven't even touched on. It's just, you know, kind of more personal than it, than it needs to get. Of just that whole, like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, is the, every day that goes by is this sort of delaying of these things that I thought I was really passionate about. I always thought I was going to get to at some point. And every day that goes by, I'm... I'm older, I'm closer to that colon cancer, I'm closer to that uh, demise and just like uh, um, that whole part of it. Uh, but the, this, this feeling of it being okay to feel how you feel when you feel it uh, is, is a liberating sense of, of your present being. Uh, if there's a more clear way to say that, how, um, I guess, I guess for me, it's, 
yes, I'm lying awake at nights right now, worrying, or not even worrying, but just feeling this anxiousness about the precariousness of life and the the fear of not getting to see my son grow up and not being a part of his life or him not even having a future. Again, Mongolians come through, they kill every man, woman, and child. No one is left spared. Uh, all the hopes that I have for myself, all the hopes I have for my family, the people I love, uh, those are not assured, and that's a that's a scary kind of thing. So laying up at night, thinking about this, um, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with anyone who who finds themselves in those in those situations of worry. It's not as though there were this secret um, knowledge that just makes that okay. That makes the death of your child, the death of yourself, the you know the 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 losing of everything that you care about, um, makes that okay necessarily. But the thing that does make it okay is letting its not okayness be okay, um, if that makes sense. So one of the things that I, I often am in recognition of is that my own philosophy, I guess, my own worldview is very what one could call escapist. That in the end, it's, it's really this letting go of responsibility for my thoughts and feelings and actions even because I don't know where I start and end and I don't know what this whole thing is that's happening and I don't, um, again, if I'm not feeling good, I don't, I, I don't feel like that is a shortcoming of myself, that there's something else I need to be doing to feel good. I just let myself not feel good. And in a way that is this escapism because, uh, there, you know, there's never, you never come up against a rock in a hard place. There's always a way to wiggle out. Um, there is no ultimate guilt. There is no ultimate uh, shortcoming. It's all this sort of game of uh, putting the red cape in front of the bull, and right before you hit it, it just gets pulled out, and it's, and it's gone. Um, and you find yourself on the other side of things, and there's a whole new expanse to look at. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, my rambling now uh, is in the same frequency that others are currently vibrating at right now. I don't know if, if my own isolated uh, suffering is lining up with all of these other sort of secret sufferings of the people around me. Um, I, I really don't know, and I guess I really don't... Um, don't know that it matters. Uh, I, I, I just wanted the opportunity to dig out some of these, these concepts of mortality and, and anxiousness and, um, and, uh, sift through them and see if there was, if there was something deeper that, um, I wasn't able to get at just through the process of, um, experiencing it. So, um, that really kind of concludes that thought cycle, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think with the time I have remaining, if there's anything else that kind of pops to mind. I've been going for about 45 minutes, which is usually kind of where I like to keep it. So I'm sure I'll have more thoughts. I might tag on some addendums. But for now, um, I thank you. Uh, and I hope that uh, if you listen to this, I, I hope it helps you. Um, to not feel like you need help <laughs> and to feel okay with feeling not okay. 
And um, when those Mongolians come for us all, it will be a pleasure to have my low-calorie blood uh, squirt alongside yours. Wow, is that how I ended that? Well, what can you do? Cheers. Cheers.